Well, good morning. Take your copy of God's Word and find the Psalms, this songbook of God's people. We're returning back. We're going to spend probably the next 20 weeks or so looking at one psalm right after another. And uh, there's a particular context in the next few weeks of, this, of, the, of these psalms that we're going to be looking at. Uh, we find ourselves in Psalms 52, and you say, why Psalms 52? Because the last psalm I preached out of was Psalms 51. And so we're returning back to this. We're going to finish out, whether you know this or not, the psalms is broken out into books. They, they're segmented in books. This was literally the song books of God's people. And we're going to finish out uh, the book that ends in, in chapter 72. And so I would also invite you out in the lobby. There's these devotionals. It's called, In the Lord I Take Refuge. Uh, it's just a psalm that you can read every day and, and a very short little devotion on it. The now what that you're going to be looking at in your small groups are, are going to be somewhat based off of this so that you could read this and get a, a really good sense on what I'm, I'm about to preach on. And so I would, I would challenge you to get, get these. You can also get them off of Amazon or your favorite bookstore. So um, let's stand to our feet as we find Psalms. We, this is one of the Psalms that has a context. And so we are thankful for that as we are thankful when there is not a direct context. But notice as we begin, notice your, the subtitle under Psalms 52. It says, To the choir master, a mascal of David, when Doag the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Now as we read this, remember, this is poetry. This was a song that was sung. This is not a narrative though it has a narrative behind it. So let us, when we read it, let us understand what we are reading and listening to. Verse 1 says this, Why do you boast, O evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you up from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man that would not make God his refuge but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. And I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. Let's pray. So God, we have been comforted over and over through the years of our life, through this, the songbook of God's people, which was their comfort. And so, Lord, today as we remember an actual situation, an actual season in the life of David, we find ourselves going through different seasons too. 
And so, Lord, we ask you for this psalm to be a comfort to your people. That it would bring both clarity, it would bring a resolve, and that your people would rest and gain confidence through this, your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It's telling my age here a little bit. Does anybody remember the movie called Walking Tall? Anybody remember that? Back in the 70s. It was based off of, a, off of a real guy in a real town. I think his name, last name was Pusser or something like that. And, uh, but it was a, a common story. Uh, a small town sheriff that wanted good things for his town. He wanted that town to be healthy. He wanted it to be prosperous. He wanted it to be safe. The problem was there was another group of people more powerful than he that had more money than him that wanted the similar things for their town. They wanted, it, they wanted that town to grow and they wanted it to be prosperous, but they had a different way to go about it. And so they brought in gambling and prostitution and then bootleg liquor. And it was a story about a man who stood basically by himself for what was right. And paid the price, even losing his own wife in the process. Well, what surprised me as I, I looked this up this week was that it absolutely crushed the box office in that day. It made something like $40 million in the 70s, a lot of money. And you ask yourself, why did so many people go to see this movie? Because the truth is, brothers and sisters, if you live long enough and you try to do what's right long enough, you will find yourself at the same place this guy found himself, somewhat standing alone for what you believe is right. A season sometimes is short. It could be a moment. It could be years like it was in David's life. The, the next few psalms, we're just going to be seeing that. David lived some, some 15 years as the enemy of the king. How do you stand for faith in the midst of evil? This is a common context in, in these psalms, and this Psalms 52 today, the main idea. The Lord's righteous trust in God's justice and steadfast love in the face of evil men and are rewarded with faith-filled confidence in their unchanging God. You see, David had a couple of constants in his life. Having something that is constant in your life is critical. It is the things of insanity when people don't have a constant to hold on to. And so for David, and you're going to see this over and over again, it is the word of God and the steadfast love of God that were his constant in the midst of everything else that changed in his life. Psalms 119.2 ties God's word together with God himself. It says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. It's not a separation between seeking God's word. For when we seek God's word, we seek him. But the steadfast love of God is the main theme of this psalm. Steadfast love, and we'll talk about this over and over again, is a persevering love. God is not an absentee nor an abusive father. He is not only with us, but he will not leave us alone. He will not leave us to ourselves. It is covenantal. What we mean by that is God has bound himself to his people. And he will not separate from him. For if he were, 
He would break his own promises and go against his own character and would cease to be God. God's bound himself. This love is a covenant love. It is an eternal love. It is a love that did not have a beginning and will have no end because it flows out of the Godhead and it bubbles over to his blood-bought people. But there is, almost, I almost said there's three constants in this life. I didn't want to give the evil that much credit. But let's say we have another reoccurring theme in our life. And that is evil. There is an evil man in David that was in David's life. He had multiple. He, he hones in on one today. And so in your outline you'll see first we're going to look at the evil man, his character, his resolve, and his outcome. This evil man's name was Doag. I know we don't name our children Doag, probably for a reason. He was involved in a massacre of Nod. And you remember how it came about. It came about because David was already on the run. David was in this, you can find this in 1 Samuel 21 and 22 if you want to check me out on it. David was already on the run from Saul who was already seeking to kill him. And David found himself with just a small group of people with no food and no weapons to defend himself. And so he goes to the, a high priest and Nod called Ahimelech. And he needs his help. And Ahimelech must have knew something was, out, was up. But David deceived him. He said he was on a secret mission from Saul. And so you remember, they took the shoe bread, the bread that was in the presence of God, and they fed it to the men, and, and Himalayan gave David Goliath's sword that was kept there. And so he was sustained, but in 1 Samuel 21, we get this little sentence that said, Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, named Doag the Edomite. So Doeg sees what happens. He sees David, and he holds this information to just the right time. And at just the right time, he goes to Saul the king, and he said, I've seen the son of Jesse with Ahimelech. And so Saul, the angry king, calls Ahimelech and accuses him of a conspiracy, orders his death. He orders his men to kill Ahimelech and all the priests, but the Saul's men would not commit such a sacrilege. But guess who stepped up to the occasion? Doag. Which is an amazing thought in itself that this one man kills 85 priests and all of their families and all of their wives and all of their children. He slaughtered them all that day. To this end was this psalm written. This is the evil man. That has a character. You see, all of that evil came out of his character. Came out of his very nature. Look at verse 1. He says of this man, Why do you boast, O evil, O mighty man? There is first, and this should get all of our attention. This great evil came from one core issue in his life, and it was pride. This wasn't a strutting kind of pride. This was a self-sufficient pride. This is a pride that says, I got to love myself before I love anybody else kind of pride. This is a pride that if I don't take care of me, nobody else can kind of pride. That's the pride. It's a self-sufficient pride. 
that's going to take care of yourself no matter what cost anybody else around us. It was that kind of pride. This man not only was prideful, he also loved evil. Matter of fact, David is being sarcastic by calling this guy mighty. That word can also mean a hero. Oh yeah, Doeg, you're a big hero. It was sarcasm. Notice of verse 3. It says, you love evil more than good. You love lying more than speaking what is right. This is not the Roman 7 man that sometimes you find yourself doing that which you hate. This is a man who sinned and loved it. And truly, you've heard it said, uh, you are what you eat. You are what you love. And you become what you treasure. This man thought he, wanted to, he had to take care of himself. He treasured himself. He treasured his own advancement, his own security. He wanted those things, and he took it under himself to make sure that he secured them. And Saul was simply a means to that. Now you could say, oh, hold on a second. Wasn't Doag just being faithful to his king? And maybe we could say that, Okay, he went and told Saul because Saul was the king and he was just being a faithful servant to the king. But this ruthless massacre that happened after, not even Saul's men under penalty of death was willing to do it. Never commit such a sacrilege as putting their hands on God's priest. But he did. And he did it out of the wickedness of his own character. You see... Just like the righteous, the wicked has resolves. They have a determination on what they must do to get what they want. And it comes out of their own character. Look at verse 2 and 4. Look what he, of all the things the psalmist could hone in on. Look at what he hones in on. Verses 2 to 4. It says, your tongue plots destruction. Your tongue, the second line, is like a sharp razor. You're a worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful what? Tongue. So of all the things that he could hone in on about this guy. I mean, this guy probably took a sword, I'd imagine, with his weapon of choice to slaughter all of those folks. But what he hones in on first, the ultimate weapon and Doeg's arsenal was his tongue. We know that sometimes with sticks and stones and all that stuff, and we've all experienced that we knew that's not true. Words are not morally neutral. And I thought about this as we were singing. The gift of language is quite a gift. It is the way we communicate with each other. It is the, how, how we think about the words of the songs that we just got through singing. Micah writes music. Words are powerful. We sit all week, those of us who use words to try to impact people, to think of the best words, to say the best things. Words are powerful. They build up or they tear down. They can either be a powerful force for that which is good and, or that which is evil. So Doag used it for his own self-promotion to the worst possible evil. This was planned. 
he planned to use his words in such a way. Notice verse 2. He, he commits, he resolves, Doag does, I will strategically plot. You use your tongue to plot destruction. He just didn't blurt it out. He held it for such a time that would be the most benefit to himself and produce the most misery for others. Psalms 31, 13. Find out that David's been in this situation more than once. Psalms 31, 13 says, For I hear the whispering of many, a terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. So for some 15 years of David's life, before he became king, this was his normal This was his every day. He's remembering this particular situation with Doeg and said he was strategic in the way he... He surgically used his mouth. Look at verse the end of verse 2. He used his tongue, his mouth, like a razor. You ever had a bad haircut? How long did it take for that to happen? (laughs) You know, you put the... My wife cuts my hair because I'm... I'm too tight to pay anybody else to do it. If, if she puts the wrong guard on that thing, I got my summer cut all of a sudden. That's what he's saying. Our tongue is sharp like a razor, and it will cut swiftly, deeply, without a sound it will per- perform it. He used it surgically, and we can as well. He calculated his words, verse 4, for the most destruction. You love all your words that devour. That was the goal. It was to destroy. He wanted to advance himself. We've, we've mentioned this. True love always hates. You do not have love if you don't have something that corresponds in contrast that you hate. Proverbs 6, 16 says God hates things. Listen to what he hates. Notice how much of it revolves around the tongue. Proverbs 6, verse 16 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, Feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So you see, steadfast love always hates. You remember James? James talks about this. I think James is highly influenced by the Old Testament, as as all the writers of the New Testament were. Remember James 3, 5? So the tongue, though it's small in its members, boasts of great things. Verse 7 says, For every kind of beast, bird, and reptile, and sea creatures can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It says, From this tongue we bless our brothers and sisters, and on the, with the other side of our mouth we curse them. So he's warning God's people. The danger of their tongue, the very thing, from pride in your heart, from from that which comes into your mind, comes where? Out of your mouth. And so what's coming out of your mouth today? You need to hit that reverse button. As you think about why that came out of your mouth, 
because it comes from an evil within our very nature. And from that, we must be warned to repent because there is an outcome from this evil character. This evil character produced actions, and this actions produces an outcome. And Doag would not be in control of this outcome. Look at verse 5. But God. Our good news as Christians is but God, isn't it? Ephesians, but God. Did you know that the wicked have a but God moment too? But God. Notice the verbs here. We'll break you down forever. But God will snatch and tear you up from your tent. But God will uproot you from the land of the living. <laughs> it's got that word sailor right there. You just need to take a rest. That's a musical rest, what most of them believe. Just Spurgeon, I love, he always talks about this. You better stop and think about this. You better stop, ponder what he just said. This is heavy, and it's supposed to be heavy, because God is promising something. Remember, David is not speaking of something in the future. He's speaking of something that's already happened in the past. He says, God broke him down. That's the way of saying is God is going to take away everything that he sought for. All the power, all the prestige, all the notoriety, all the name, all the, I got to make something for myself. He said he's going to lose it all. I'm going to, in his greatest place of security, in his mansion with all of his snuff stuff, I'm going to come in there and snatch him out of it. So what is the picture? I'm going to come in there and tear him out of his tent. He's going to uproot him. Uh, that means he's going to kill him. That's what God, he's going to take his life from him. Everything, there is a consequence. Uh, when we built our house, um, it was most of where our house was going to sit. It was like a pasture. So it was already pretty clear. But in the back, there was, there was some trees there. So I... I took, I took it on myself because this is the kind of guy I am. I'm just going to clear it up myself. And so we started cutting trees. And, and uh, it was all fine until I tried to get them stumps out of the ground. You know, they have a vested interest to stay right where they are. And I pulled my tractor to kingdom come. I finally had to hire a guy with a dozer, which is what I should have done to start with. And, and he just effortlessly ripped those trees up by the roots. That's what God has said he's going to do to the wicked. I'm going to rip them up. And I'm going to rip them up by the roots. Where are those trees now? In my backyard. They're gone. Because they were ripped up. That's what he's saying. Why in the world would David tell this to God's people? Why would he sing it in a song in corporate worship every Sunday? Because David is a remembering an actual event in his life. He's saying, and I am telling you and I am warning you that Doag was a real guy who really tried to kill me and it cost him everything. Don't go down that way. He was singing to God's people. Remember God's goodness and mercy and respond in this life because if God's mercy and goodness doesn't lead us to worship in this life, it will stand as our judge in the next life. That's what he's telling them. Wicked people are hard to live with. But there is coming a day, and it's not always in the next life. The evil man from his heart brutalized people for his own gain. 
And now he comes under the judgment hand of God. And listen, there's an audience to it. That's what David is saying. That's what this psalm is about. David said, I was an audience to what happened. All I'm doing is telling you. I saw it. Verse 6. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man that would not make God as a refuge? but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. David saw it. Now, we don't have any passages for what happened to Doag. Here's what I know. He hitched his wagon to the wrong horse because we know what happened to Saul in his kingdom, don't we? That's who he committed himself to. David saw it. He was there when God took the kingdom from Saul and gave it to him. Doag entrusted himself to Saul and not to God for his prosperity. When we throw our hat in the rings with the godless, we will perish with the godless and save God's snatching grace in our life. And if you've lived long enough, you've experienced God snatching grace who snatched us right out of the fire he says I saw it and as a response I feared God more because of it he lives in the amazement of the awe of God to always do what is right but to do what is right on his own timetable this was not an overnight experience in David's life this was years of David's life but this, what this brought, what the fear of God brings in your life is clarity. Clarity. This is right. This is wrong. This is the wages of sin. And this is the wages of eternal life. And I will not go down that road. Doag feared Saul more than God. David feared God more than Doag or Saul. And that fear led to obedience, and that obedience brings rest and confidence, even in the face of evil, even in the face of the unknown. Not only did he fear, look at what else it said. It said he laughs. Now, now what is that? He's sitting there going, he saw him go to his own destruction, and was he laughing at him? He's laughing at the failed logic of the wicked. That's what he's laughing at. I was watching the news the other night. Of a man who has raked in millions for years because of his business overseas, which he just decided he wouldn't pay taxes on. So you're hearing that in the news and you're going, <laughs> wonder how that's going to work for him. You know, the IRS and the FBI and all them, they're going to get theirs. You know, that's the idea here. That the logic that Doag could prosper by pursuing evil that Doag thinks he could prosper by killing the priest of God. It's ridiculous. It's like a, a flea kicking an elephant in the foot trying to get him to move. It's sort of silly. That's what, he's, that's what he's laughing at. What was funny is that Doag thought he could get rid of God's anointed when God had already told David he was going to be king. He said, that's a little funny. And try to kick against the Almighty. Psalms 2 says the same thing. Listen to this. 
Verse 1 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together, saying against the Lord's anointed and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Verse 4, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me... I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Listen, here's what he's pointing to. Jesus is coming, and there is nothing anybody can do to stop him. So, that's the evil man. He's got a character. He's got a resolve. He had an outcome. And against that now, he contrasts the righteous man, which is David himself. You see that in verse 8. Verse 8, the righteous man. Now notice, remember this is poetry. Look for the I am's and look for the I wills. First verse 8 says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust or I will trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. Verse 9, I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name For it is good in the presence of the godly. There is a character, there is a resolve, and there is an outcome. He says he is a green olive tree. Doesn't mean a whole lot to us, does it? A green olive tree, you know? We could probably use another tree that would would make more sense in our context. But does anybody know how long an olive tree, a normal olive tree lived in that day, even today? We got any idea? Anybody want to guess? How much? 500 years. You see the point? David's saying, I'm an olive tree, and I'm not going to live just five years or 50 years, or even I looked up some of our oaks, 70 to 120 years lifespan on a lot of our hardwoods around here. They live 500 years, but here's the point. If you planted an olive tree around a place that had good soil and good nourishment they can live 1500 years that's why he was in a, he's saying I am a green olive tree because olive trees were persevering trees they had a long lifespan and they would have a longer lifespan if they were planted in the right place this is a contrast he's saying I am planted in my constants and my constance is God's unfailing love for me and his very word that he has given me. You see, olive trees were fruitful trees. They were symbolic of their of God people. They were a symbol of life, of peace, of fertility. They used oil in their lamps. They used it in the purification and even in medicinal purposes. It was the most important tree in their life at that day. And he says, that's who I am. You see, the olive tree is the Psalms 1-3 tree. Do you remember that tree? It's the righteous man. He says the righteous, in Psalms 1-3, is like a tree planted by streams of water. So in this psalm, do you see the comparison? The streams of water is the steadfast love of God. He said, it's planted by the streams of water so it yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So do you see the comparison now? Doag has been plucked up by the roots. 
What has David said? Saying, I am still here because I planted my life in the steadfast love of God and not in my own strength. And Doag is gone. God's promises are still true. This is an actual story of an actual man with an actual outcome. And they had promises. Both of them did. And Jesus has given us the same promises. Matthew 13, verse 47. He gives a parable. And Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a net that is thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, the men drew it up ashore and sat down and sorted good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be neeping, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. There is a character in the righteous. He is faithful. He is fruitful because where he plants his life and what that produces in his life is some resolves. These are faith-filled resolves. You see it at the end of verse 8. I will trust in God's unfailing love. He's going to trust where we started back at his constant. For the righteous, when the storms are blowing our life, it will only make our roots grow deeper. Because that's what God does through the storms. He says, i just going to trust God more because of what happened in my life. His faith is in His constance. God has set His affections on me. I'm going to hold on to that one. I say this all the time because it's so important to our life. you got to know the promises of God to trust in them. Lamentations 3.22 says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Is that a promise? It's a promise. His mercies never come to an end. Is that a promise? Yes. They are new every morning. Is that a promise? It's a promise. And what are these promises based off of? Great is your faithfulness. They're based on the faithfulness of God. Not mine. Do you know how many emotions I've had over the last three weeks? I said that this morning in our meeting. I could be doing good one day in a puddle the next day God's love for me is not conditioned on how, what kind of day I have tomorrow it's conditioned on his faithfulness he has set his love on me and all the bad is going to happen in my life and in your life as Christians is make our roots grow deeper in the only thing in life that matters and that is God's love has set his love on me and he cannot change his mind it's good news because he is faithful I will entrust myself to him. What David is saying. I will be thankful because God always does what is right. Verse 9, I will thank you forever because you have done it. What What has he done? He's dealt with his enemies. That's what he's done. He made it right. He fulfilled his promise. David is the king. Seed of Jesse. And he will produce another seed, capital S. Isaiah 13, 11, this is a promise. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. 
I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Isn't that good news to the righteous? It's good news. Jesus promised this. Matthew 25, remember? I'm going to separate the righteous and the wicked. I'm going to put the righteous on the right and the wicked I'm going to put on the left. In verse 46 of Matthew 25, he says, Then he's going to say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they're going to say, Lord... When were you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked and we didn't minister to you? Then he's going to say to them, truly I say to you, when you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is a promise too. David is thankful because of God's loving protection for him. And because of God's holy justice. And so he resolves. Listen. I've hardly been able to get through this one in my own study. He will worship as he waits. He will worship as he waits. He will trust in the steadfast love of God. He will be thankful for God always does what is right. And he will worship as he waits. He will worship waiting on something. Do you see it? The name. The name is where the power is. The name was where the refuge is. The name was where the comfort is. The name is where justice comes from. And the name is where the strength is when we don't have strength. For when we are weak, he is strong. God has already promised David he would be the king when Doag was trying to kill him. What has he promised you? What has he promised you? Has he not promised that no one can separate you from the love of God? Has he not promised you that you are safe in his hands and that no one can take you out of his hands? Has he not promised you that if we go and and help other people follow Christ, he would be with us and he would give us strength? You see, God's honor is at stake in the outcome of David's life and in the outcome of ours. We can trust in the name. I read this. This is in the New Living Translation. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Listen to this. So the Lord must wait for you to come to Him so He can show you His love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for His help. Going to wait. Notice there's a location of the waiting. Do you see it? He's going to wait with the godly. You will find no comfort with the wicked. They will chew you up and spit you out. He said, yes, there's hard things in life. And yes, I'm doing something. And yes, I'm going to make it right. But while you're waiting, wait with my people. Because with them there is safety. There is no safety if you isolate yourself. There is no safety outside the community of Jesus Christ. He went to the cross to save you from your sin and to save you into a group of people that will love you even though you're jacked up. Because we all are. 
But we're all trying to be like Christ. We wait and we wait together. We suffer together because we will one day be rewarded together. David said, let's get together and let us sing about this. So what? You got to peel the onion back to get where I'm to get where I'm at here, and I understand that. Think about David and Doeg for a minute again. Let's go back and let's ask this question: Did David and Doeg desire the same things? And you might immediately say, "No, not even close." One wanted materialism. One wanted to. But why did Doeg do what he did? What did he want? You peel that onion about. What did, what did he desire? What was Doeg's desire? Did he want security? Maybe the New Testament language. Did Doeg really want abundance? Did Doeg want to live an abundant life? A life with safety and security and prosperity. Is that not what Doeg wanted? What did David want? Do we not all want our lives to be meaningful and purposeful and that at the end of our life for our lives to have made an impact? You see, there was two resolves here. David resolved that these things, these great things, these great desires were not bad desires. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Weight of Glory. I, I would challenge you. It's a challenging read, but it's a worthwhile read that our, that our desires are too small, not too little. The goal is not to stop your desires. The goal is to say your desires are meant to be satisfied, but is meant to be satisfied with something that is eternal. So David resolved that these things that everybody desires, flows out of the hands of the living, righteous God, and he would seek them there. Doag wanted the same things, but he wanted, he chose to get them out of his own abilities, out of his own cunning, to make it his own way. And listen, one produces a weight of glory, the other produces a weight of judgment. They both produce something in the next life. As well in this one. Listen to God's word. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. I love this because it's just honest. But it's hopeful. It says in 2 Corinthians 4 16. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. I can remember being 20. And it didn't seem that long ago. And now I am 51. And it's a blink. The outer man is wasting away, but the inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The struggles, the attacks, the waiting, the suffering, the persecution, none of it is wasted. All of it is doing something. 
It's producing something that is eternal. And so just two things today. Two simple trust. God is saying, I am taking the mess of your life and I'm producing something eternal with it. Do you trust me? Here's the other promise. I am going to deal with the wicked who seek to attack us. So Peter says this. No other way to better way to end. That we can, because of those promises, lean back into lap into the lap of our steadfast loving God and Father. Because he promises this in 1 Peter 5:10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Lord, we take you at your word today, that you have set your love on your people, and you will not change your mind about me, How about those who sit in front of me? And so, Lord, I pray today. There are some watching online that wish they could be sitting in these chairs with us today. And we thank you, Lord, for them that are watching there. And I pray for them, Lord, that they would trust you and take you at your word today. That you have set your love on them. And you're not going to change your mind about it. That you are producing something in their life through that which they are going through. Things that we cannot even begin to imagine what this weight of glory actually looks like. And I wish I could explain it. And so, Lord, we will trust you. And now, Lord, we are going to stand up and worship you. We're going to come to the tables Lord, having laid our sin out here and asked for your forgiveness, because we do not want to come to the table in an unworthy way, in our own pride, in our own achievement, in our own strength, Lord. We deserve nothing, and you have given us everything. And so we place our faith in you, and we come to the tables to remember the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the return of the Lord And our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we celebrate that now together as a family. For we are all waiting. Waiting for you. In one way or the other, Lord. And so, Lord, visit your people with your goodness and grace. Give us a kingdom perspective about the things in our life. So that we may love you, trust you, and enjoy you in Jesus' name.